That's awesome, isn't it? That's uh, Mark Marks. So uh, Amanda was mentioning that there's going to be a training here and that uh, Mark Marks is going to be leading it. Mark will be here April 22nd and 23rd due to that training. And he'll also be here the 24th to uh, preach on Sunday morning. But welcome, everyone. My name is Wilson. So glad to have you uh, with us this morning. Before I, I'm going to actually explain a little bit more about Mark. But before I get there, would anybody like to hear a joke? So I wasn't here last week. That's not the joke. But uh, I wasn't here last week. And I heard my dad talk about how he's funnier than me or something. But so I'm going to have to tell you guys some jokes just to No, the truth is, I just want to be like him. So I'm going to tell you guys jokes. You know, I just want to be like my old man. So. All right. I'm going to tell the short one first. So lately, my wife and I have uh, instead of the John, we've been calling our toilet the gym. That way it sounds a lot better when I say the first thing I do in the morning is go to the gym. So, hey, that's funny. All right. So here's the good joke. So that was, that was an internet joke. That was just me clean, funny jokes and just finding one. But, uh, so there's these two brothers, they work on a farm together and they decide that uh, they want to start buying pigs and raising pigs. So they each go out and buy a pig and they bring them back and they realize how the heck are we going to tell our pigs apart? Like, what are we going to do? How are we going to know whose pig is whose? And these brothers aren't too bright. So their first solution was, all right, tonight we'll go out and um, mark one of the pig's ears and then we'll know that that pig is yours and this pig is mine. So first brother goes out, middle of the night, puts a little hook or a mark in that pig's ear. And then three hours later, the other brother goes out and does the same thing to the other pig on the same ear. So the next morning they come out and they're like, well, the heck we both marked the pigs are our pigs right ear. How are we going to know whose pig is whose? We're like, okay, let's do this again. We'll do the other ear this time. Just one of us go though. So they don't decide who goes. So again, both of them go and do it that night. First one goes out at 1 a.m. Next one goes out at 3 a.m. Both marking the left ear on the pig. So the next morning they come out and both pigs have a mark in both their right and left ears. And they're like, what are we going to do? How are we going to tell our pigs apart? The younger brother, out of just total exasperation, goes, how about this? We say the white pig is yours and the black pig is mine. Don't quit your day job, Wilson. Just keep preaching. Stick to, st- stick to the Bible. So I'm, I'm really excited to have Mark here. Mark Marks, the guy in that video. Um, he's going to come in, what I re- just to get some expectation going, to let you guys know what I'm expecting from him being here. He carries a really strong anointing and passion for healing. So like something, that, a, a kind of groove, he has just really carved out, something he is really focused on is seeing physical healing in people's bodies. And you know that Jesus healed the sick everywhere he went. And so Mark has really taken it upon, like, that's like his life message is that we can grow in faith and we can grow in healing the sick. So whereas like, like his main message is he's going to come here and he's going to be like, Hey, who in the room is like on their deathbed? Who, who's missing an eyeball? Who's missing a finger? Who has a broken leg? Come up here. I want to, we're going to pray for you. So like when he comes, we're going to do a healing night on a April 23rd, that Saturday night, it's going to be at 7 p.m. I think it's 7 p.m. Don't quote me on that. But bring people, the people you've given up on, your uh, family member that's, you know, 
terminal cancer or people in wheelchairs, people who are really hurting and desperate, bring them here. Mark's going to pray for them. And we believe that as he's here and teaching us some of the things he's learned about healing, we all corporately, this church is going to step into a greater level of seeing healing in people's bodies. You know, that's something we can grow in and we kind of like deciding, Hey, we're not going to change the channel. We're just going to turn it to that channel and we're going to focus on that. We want to grow in that. Like how cool would it be if people knew come to Vineyard Northwest Sunday mornings, if you have cancer, come to Vineyard Northwest Sunday mornings, if you know, you broke your leg last week and you, you don't want to pay the doctor bills. That'd be cool. Right? Like, I mean, time out. I'm all for the doctor pay your, like go to the doctor still, but we want people to be coming here expecting to be healed and knowing that um, Jesus' presence is here at this church to heal people. He's at other churches to heal people too. I'm not saying anything about that. I'm just saying that's something we want to be known for here at Vineyard Northwest is a place of healing. So in line with that, we're actually going to um, be launching a ministry from this church called Healing on the Streets. Healing on the Streets. So Mark Marks um, pioneered and started this ministry, Healing on the Streets, and how it kind of works is you go out into like a busy area of town, place with like a lot of foot traffic, and you set out like four or five chairs and then a big banner that says healing. This is a picture of it over, overseas. And you put on some like kind of ambient music. And then you have a ton of little flyers. You go hand all the flyers out. And you, you invite people to come, to come and sit down and get prayer. So it's not like we're going up to people and asking, can we pray for you right now? Or giving them a prophetic word or praying in that moment. We're saying, hey, would you like to come and receive prayer? You can come sit down right here. Jesus heals. Jesus loves you no matter where you've been, who you are, what you believe. He wants to heal you. And um, we're actually going to launch this. We're gonna, our, our goal is to launch it in downtown Cincinnati. We believe that Vineyard Northwest, yeah. We really believe that Vineyard Northwest is called to influence more than just Coleraine, but to influence the whole city of Cincinnati. And so what we're going to be doing is giving a gift to the city of Cincinnati. We're going to be giving a gift to the city of Cincinnati by starting to heal on the streets. Like we're shooting for Fountain Square, somewhere like that, where once a week, we'll send a team of 15 people, 15 of you guys in this room, down to Fountain Square, set out the chairs, set up the sign, and then just welcome people to come and get prayer. And um, if I was going to ask the question, who in this room would love to see someone healed outside of these four walls? I don't think there's a hand in the room that wouldn't go up, right? I asked the question, who would like to see someone experience God's presence? Like, you know that thing we experience in worship where you just feel the warmth and love of God? Who would like to see someone outside of these four walls, outside of this church experience that, right? Who would like to lead someone to Jesus, lead someone into making a commitment to make Jesus their savior outside of these four walls, Right? Now, here's the kicker. I was setting you guys up. Who's a little bit scared of doing that? <laughs> right? We're just going to be honest. We all have a growth edge with boldness and with um, not being scared of like, really, like, it's kind of just, you're scared of what people are going to think. And that's something that we all have area to grow in, myself included. We, we want to be moving in that direction of not worrying about what people are thinking, but be more concerned with sharing the gospel and sharing the love of Jesus. So we really believe that, Heal on the Streets is going to be a great discipleship tool for our church. Where if you're one of those people raising your hand, I want to lead somebody to Jesus on the street. I want to see someone healed on the street. This is going to be a great next step for you. It's going to be a little bit lower risk than just going to the mall randomly and approaching random people. Because people are actually going to be coming to us. Handing out flyers and then if they want prayer, you know it because they came to you. So it's, it's going to be an awesome thing. Um, and we were just tying back into us, our, our influence expanding. You know, house group... 
the young adults ministry here, it started in Corain. The first house group ever was in Corain, but now we have a house group in Blue Ash, in Northside, in Forest Park, in Westchester, and more are coming. So we see that the natural thing is stuff starts to spread out into the city. A lot, so like, that's to reinforce the point that we're called to influence the region. Along with that, Van and Lori Cochran, the senior pastor and associate pastor of this church, they have been asked to become the new area leaders for the vineyard in this area. So there's... So what that means is there's about 30 vineyard churches in, the, in what's considered this area. That's like northern Kentucky, um, part of Indiana, Cincinnati, Dayton, Springfield, that whole area. There's about 30 vineyards there. And my parents have been assigned to uh, like give pastoral care and oversight to half of those because there's so many. So there's, there's about, is it 10? Like, like 10. So how many churches are there in that area? 20 in Cincinnati and Dayton, not 30. And half of them, 10 of them, my, uh, my mom and dad are going to be like overseeing and, and kind of like seeing how we can assist and bless and love on them. So all I have to say that it's the natural next step for us here at Vineyard Northwest. Not sure why we're clapping, but yeah. It's the natural next step for us to go start a ministry in another area of Cincinnati to bless this whole city. Right? I want to see this whole city come to know Jesus. I want to see the whole city be healed, right? Like, Jesus can do that. We can see it. how cool would it be just if beyond Vienna or this, but Cincinnati was known as a place where people came and got healing. You know, have you, there's an old revivalist named John G. Lake. Who's heard of John G. Lake? He lived in Spokane, Washington, and he started these healing rooms. You can look, look this up. Like if you Google John G. Lake and read documents about it, this is, this is true. He started healing houses where people would come and stay and get lots of prayer. And um, after a period of time, lots of them getting healed. But Spokane, Washington was pronounced the healthiest city in the United States for like many years in a row. And that wasn't because they had the best Mayo Clinic. That wasn't because they had the best children's hospital, which is awesome. Cincinnati is already blessed with an amazing children's hospital, amazing hospitals. But it was known by that because of God's healing power. Yes. Spokane, Washington was known as a place of healing because of God's healing power. Cincinnati can be known as a place of healing because of Jesus's healing power. And we get to be part of that with healing on the streets. So it's going to be awesome. I'm super excited for that. The training will be on Friday night from 7 to 10. And then on a Saturday morning from nine to about one, and then at two o'clock, we're going to head to our location with Mark, Mark Marks, and uh, do our first session of healing on the streets. So it's going to be awesome. You need to pre-register. It's $15 to register. You get a manual um, that, that guides you through the whole course. And that kiosk there in the back on my left, your guys' right, is where you can register. So just head back there after the service, fill the connect card. Um, saying you want to register for healing on the streets, but I love to see this room packed full of people getting trained for healing on the streets. How cool would this be? If we trained so many people in this room that we had to start two locations. What if so many people came? Because like our goal is to have four teams. So there'd be, you would commit, you, you might, and I didn't mean to get into all this, but you'd commit to going out once a month. So like one Saturday a month, you'd be on the Heal on the Streets team where you went down to Found Square for two hours on a Saturday. What if so many of you guys uh, came to the train that we had to start one in like Coleraine or in, in another area besides just downtown because we had such a demand? That'd be awesome. So come. All right. 
So this morning, I'm, a, I'm speaking on this idea. The title of my message is Jesus is your future. Jesus is your future. Um, as I say that, I realize it's a little conceptual. It doesn't make as much just like for um, like obvious sense as saying something like Jesus is your savior or Jesus is your healer. Like right away, we know what that means. Jesus is your savior. Died on the cross. He came to pay for the sins of the whole world um, so that we could become in, so we could enter into relationship with Jesus. He's our healer. He came to not only heal like our emotional and heart wounds, but actually heal our physical bodies too. He cares about us so much that he wants our bodies to be healed. Jesus is your comforter. We know that like in times that are hard and uh, when things aren't going well, Jesus is there to comfort us and to bring us peace and to give us hope. So like those are all kind of like things we can grab onto, right? He's our, he's our hope, you know, all that stuff. But Jesus is your future. What does that mean? You know, it's kind of like, all right, Wilson, like philosophical, like thinking big on us now, but uh, I'm going to make it, I'm going to kind of bring it down to earth. And I hope that we, we walk out of the room thinking differently today. That's my goal for you is that you walk out of the room thinking differently about your future. That when you walked in, you had one idea about what your future looked like and what the idea of a future looked like. And you walk out with a new one. All right. That's my goal for you. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to, we're going to dive in. Jesus, we love you so much. Hmm. I just welcome your love to come into the room right now. We just welcome you, Jesus, to come and minister your love to us this morning. Everything in our life can be solved by knowing more about your love. Every situation we're in just needs to understand more of how much you love us. So I just speak out a confident expectation that this morning we'll know more about your love more about the good you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you want to turn with me or look up on the screen to John 1, I'm going to be starting in verse 43, but bef- uh, just to set a little context for what's kind of where we're at in history right now, this is the beginning of the book of John. Uh, the Jews in Israel have been um, kind of like under Roman control, almost like under slavery from the Romans for a long time now. They don't get to make their own decisions, elect their own rulers. They're actually ruled upon. And there's all these prophecies leading up saying, hey, someone's going to come and deliver us. Like all the way back to Moses and Abraham, they've been prophesying that someone's going to come and free God's people, free them and liberate them. And so on, so onto the scene comes John the Baptist, John the baptizer. That was what they call him, John the baptizer, because he was baptizing people. And he was a kind of rugged dude. He hung out in the wilderness, had a gnarly beard, kind of like Jeff Smith's beard up here. I could have you like stand up on a chair and share it. No, I'm just kidding. No, it's okay. Who wants to see Jeff's beard? All right. So there's John the Baptist. <laughs> I tried to grow a beard like that, and I'm just, I couldn't do it. I just, maybe like in a couple of years or something, I'll be more of a man. But John the Baptist, he bursts onto the scene, and uh, he's just like preaching fire. He's just telling it exactly how it is, not holding any punches. And you know that the thing of that day was the religious leaders, they didn't, they, they held back. They didn't, they didn't speak the truth. John just, boom, he's just speaking the truth and people are drawn to that. When someone is speaking the truth, when they're not worried about the establishment, when they're not worried about what others think, that's something that people are drawn to, right? You're drawn to somebody like that. You want to be around them, you want to be like them. And people start to, th- like, start to think like, hey, John might be 
the Messiah. Like John the Baptist, he might be the guy we've been waiting for. You know, like walk away from a powerful message of his out in the desert. And people are like, hey, I think this is it. Like, I think he's here. We're about to be delivered from Roman control. John the Baptist is the dude. Like, this is the guy we're all dying for. And then the unexpected happens. And John says, it's not me, it's him. And he points at this dude who's a carpenter. This guy who's just work, like builds tables. It's, it's, it's John's younger cousin, Jesus. He points him and says, hey, no, it's not me. Behold, the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And he points at Jesus. And so what I, I would imagine happened at that point is people started to get a little divided. Some people said, okay, I, I think it's Jesus. I'm going to start paying attention to Jesus. And others said, no, man, it's John the Baptist. Like, dude, this guy is a man's man. He's rugged. He's the Messiah. That carpenter, no, that's not it. Like, just, just take yourself back to that. Like, we live in a time where we know who Jesus is. Imagine that you didn't always know that Jesus was the son of God. Imagine you didn't know that. Imagine that you thought Jesus was just like the next guy in line. That's what it's like right now, okay? No one knows who Jesus is. He's kind of coming onto the scene, but John the Baptist is totally the focal point of attention. By the way, we're privileged to live at a time where we know who Jesus is. Amen. We're alive with the knowledge of who the Savior of the world is. Who have you told that to recently? You have some pretty uh, powerful knowledge about Jesus. We need to share it. We need to be telling people who he is in a loving way. And one of the ways we can tell them is by praying for them. So anyways, the evangelist in me is starting to come out. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to preach. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael answered him, How do you know me? Jesus answered, before Philip called you, I saw you under the fig tree. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. So right there, like I could just stop right there and preach a whole message on the power of prophecy and the power of word of knowledge. Like right there, those simple things Jesus said to Nathaniel. First thing he says, um, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. We kind of make this like in my head, I always thought this was really dramatic. Like they're, you know, hanging out and they're walking by each other and they've had some small talk. And then middle sentence before they talk about whether or not they're having hummus that night. Jesus turns to Nathaniel and says, there is no deceit in you. And it's all dun, 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 like dramatic. But here's what I, I like to think. It's more like this. Nathaniel is walking up to Jesus. Like he is not into it, but his best friend, Philip has dragged him along. 
Philip is so hyped that Jesus picked him out of the crowd that he's telling everybody, hey, come meet Jesus, come meet Jesus. And Nathaniel's like, dude, nothing good comes out of Nazareth. I don't want to be here. I don't want to meet him. That's, I'm not into that. But finally, like the best friend just convinces him into it. You know, Luke and I experienced that a lot. All the time, Luke doesn't want to do something. I drag him along and then changes his life and he's really thankful. So, but, uh, so that's kind of what's going on here. Uh, Nathaniel, dra- uh, Philip drags Nathaniel in. And then I like to picture, it's like Nathaniel's walking up to Jesus and they're still pretty far away. It's like from me to the first row of chairs. And he says, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Look, there's a guy who has no secrets. Look, there's a guy that what you see is what you get. It's like, and that just hits Nathaniel. That's who Nathaniel is. That's, that's who he is as a person. He is somebody that's transparent, doesn't have anything hidden. He's real. And when someone calls out like the core of who you are, like that man, something came alive in Nathaniel. He said, how do, you, how do you know that about me? How do you know me? And Jesus responds, oh, you're, you're surprised I know that? Look, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Before you even came here, I saw you under the fig tree. And I know that, um, so, okay, recap. He's telling Nathaniel who he is. He's saying, Nathaniel, I know who you are. Not, you know, that's a big thing that people want to know is that God knows who they are. People walk around not knowing that God knows them. Before you know God, he knows you. Before you knew God, he knew you. Isn't that good? The king of the world, the guy who created the world knows you. He knows you better than you know yourself. And he knows you better than you know him. He knows you. Just let that sink in. Just sit and meditate for a day on the fact that Jesus knows you. Let's just, okay. So he tells him, I know you. He says, I know who you are. And then he says, I know where you've been. I saw you under the fig tree. Not only does he know who Nathaniel is, but he knows where he's been in life. And you know, from the, from the uh, scripture here, it, it seems like Nathaniel was just under the fig tree. Like that's kind of what it seems like. There's even, um, my dad told me this, that lots of scholars uh, I figured out that it was like a common saying to say I was under the fig tree, right? It meant like I was studying the Bible. So, you know, there's different ideas like that, but I'm preaching. So I'm going to tell you what I think. Um, I think there's a chance that he wasn't just under a fig tree. I think that maybe a major life event happened for Nathaniel under a fig tree. Maybe the last place he ever saw his father before his father ran off was under a fig tree. Maybe the woman he was betrothed to Mary ended it and said, no, I want to go with this other guy. And that happened under a fig tree. Who knows the depth and significance of what it means to Nathaniel that Jesus saw him under the fig tree. Simple. When we just share with people simple things, we think God is saying how like that's not someone's birth date or their address or anything wild. They're just saying, Hey, I just feel like God wants you to know that he was there when you got your first car. What? Why would I say that? Like, what's significant about their first car? Who knows? But Jesus is demonstrating for us right here how to share a word of knowledge. And it's not elaborate. It's not crazy. It's not someone's phone number and how many kids they have. It's something simple. I saw you under a fig tree. So Nathaniel's finding out, oh, Jesus knows where I've been. Not only does he know who I am, but he knows where I come from, where I've been. And you know, that's what people are always using that to disqualify themselves from relationship with God. They're saying, if you only knew where I'd been, if you only knew who I really was and what I'd done, there's no way you'd love me, Jesus. You have no idea what I've been through. Jesus is saying here, hey, Nathaniel, I was there. 
I was under the fig tree with you. I saw you there. It's, it's awesome. So he's saying, I know who you are. I know, that's awesome. I, I have this bad habit. My transitions are cool, awesome. But uh, that is awesome. So he's telling Nathaniel, I know who you are and I know where you've been. And now he's going to talk to Nathaniel about his future. He says, you're, you think that's amazing? Check it out. You're going to see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. I know who you are. I know where you've been. And now I'm going to tell you where you're going. And you know what's interesting about what he says, where you're going? You know, he's talking about his future here. He's saying, this is, where, this is what will be. This is your future. It's not really much about Nathaniel. Do you notice that? You will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. That's not about Nathaniel. That's about Jesus. Jesus is Nathaniel's future. Jesus is your future. Jesus is your future. It's not the things you're going to do. It's Jesus. It's, your future is actually more about what Jesus is going to do than what you're going to do. Did you know that? Your future is not about the things you're going to accomplish, the woman you're going to marry, the uh, job you're going to get. It's about what Jesus is going to do. Your future is about Jesus. <laughs> and you know what's cool is you have him right now too. The best thing you're ever going to have in life, the best thing about five years from now is also the best thing about right now. Isn't that good? We don't need to live. We don't need to live with hearts bent on what is to come because we have the one in us already. He's saying, don't be so consumed with your future. Be consumed with the person who holds your future. Lee said, Earlier this week, Lee, one of the pastors here and I were talking about my message and she said, I have, the, I have the feeling that God wants to say to some people that he, they're more consumed with what they're going to do, but they need to be consumed with the person that holds what they're going to do. We need to be consumed with Jesus and what he's doing. For me, a big way this has played out in my life, I, uh, I spent about two and a half years in Jacksonville, Florida with an organization called YWAM, Youth of the Mission. And while I was there, I got this just big heart and love for Muslims developed in me. Where I was like, man, I, I had no idea that Muslims uh, believed that Jesus was a real person, that, that Muslims actually think he was a prophet. I just learned all this stuff about Muslims and Islam where I found out it's, it's like really almost like a cousin to Christianity. It's not, not, not in the sense that a Muslim that doesn't believe in Jesus can be saved. I'm not saying that. But it's like there's a lot of similarities that I was unaware of. And so this kind of like opened up this thing in my heart where I was like, you know, I think I really have a call in my life and a passion to uh, love, love on Muslims and maybe even move to the Middle East someday. And so after about a year of that percolating, I got to take some trips to uh, like Jordan and Lebanon and uh, Turkey and a couple other countries in the Middle East. And I was like, wow, like my heart was really just like alive when I was there. I was like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. This is going to be my future. I'm going to go love Muslims. Like I'm going to move to the Middle East and get a job there, da, 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 da. And, but then I thought, you know, I would really like to come back to the 
I'd really like to come back to Cincinnati and get a degree in a, like some kind of business related degree so that I could move to the Middle East and have an actual job. Not, not, not an actual job, but so that I could work side by side with Muslims. Like I, my, and, and Arabs. My, my, my deal wasn't, I, I didn't want to really teach English. I didn't want to run an orphanage. Those are awesome things. Those are amazing. But my heart was to like work in the business world or like maybe in the government sphere, something like that. So I went, I moved back to Cincinnati, started going to UC. Uh, and I just, I got a degree in international affairs in Arabic, minor in Arabic. And this, this whole time I was back, like that was my focus. G, like I'm going to the Middle East. Everyone, like everyone that knew me, like talk to like Luke or Amanda or Jenner, my parents, they knew that when Wilson graduates, he's gone. He's going to the Middle East. Like that's, that's what he's doing. Well, during this time frame, while I'm going to UC, um, a house group started. And we started to see a lot of our friends that didn't know Jesus come to know Jesus. And we started to see people coming and getting empowered with the Holy Spirit and started to get, there were so many people packed in the basement. We had to start another one. So it's like, this is rolling, man. God is clearly breathing on it. This is like his thing that he's doing. But still, we would always talk about it like, well, Wilson's going to be gone someday. Well, like, okay. It's not like it was a big thing. Like I was like the savior of house group. But it was when Luke and I would strategize and talk about the future, it was always with the statement, you'll be gone when this happens, or I'll be in the Middle East when that happens. Is that making sense? Shock with me? And what I came to realize was, all of like I, God was moving right in front of me, but I couldn't see it because I thought there was something else. Like I had this other picture of what my future looked like. I had this picture of later on, then I'll be happy. Then I'll be fulfilled. Then I'll be doing what I'm supposed to do. When in reality, the same thing that makes me happy now is the thing that was making me happy then. And that's Jesus. It wasn't something I was going to do someday. It was a person I was in relationship with right then. Jesus is your future. Growing up, I was desperate to get married. I was, that was that weird 10-year-old that always wanted a girlfriend and always couldn't wait to have kids and was like looking forward to the day he got to get married. And I was like, I was just thinking, that's when I'll be happy. That's when I'll be fulfilled. When I get to have a family, when I'm married, da, 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 da. And, you know, I dated um, girls in high school and in college where I, well, in high school, this was a foolish thought. In college, it was more realistic. But I thought, I'm going to marry this girl. This is going to be the girl I marry. Started thinking about my future. Started thinking about this is where I get my security, my hope, and all that. And then I realized, and, well, and now I realize being married, that the thing I get the most fulfillment from isn't marriage. Although marriage is amazing. It's amazing. But the thing I get the most fulfillment from is my relationship with Jesus. And I had that back then too. Jesus was then, he's also your future. The thing you have right now is the best thing you're going to have later. And I'll just tell you guys really quick that Jen and I have a cool thing coming in nine months. So... You guys are more enthusiastic about us having a baby than the word of God. <laughs> so th- that, that's exciting. Anybody want to babysit? We need some free babysitters. Cool. All right. Just raise those hands. I'm going to take a picture. And uh, it's recorded that I said free. So this is on the podcast. <laughs> So Bob Hazel was here a couple months ago. Something he said that ties in with this is 
The first thing God does isn't tell you what you're going to do, but who you are. The first thing he tells you isn't what you're going to do in life. He starts speaking to you who you are. See, it's a works mindset. It's a performance mindset to think that the things I do will fulfill me. What I mean by performance mindset is that I have to perform. I have to do something. I have to accomplish something to be fulfilled and satisfied. That's, that's, that's a works way of thinking. There's some letters in the Bible written to people who thought that way that are really harsh. And it's like a hard correction. Hey, the way you're thinking right now is the old way to think. If you think that things you will do are going to make you feel fulfilled in the future, that's an old covenant way of thinking. That's the old way of thinking. The new way is who you are and who Jesus is in you and the things that Jesus has done and will do are what make you fulfilled. The cross is the place of fulfillment. At that moment, you got a deposit of fulfillment. At that point, your life was released to be as fulfilled as it will ever be. The things done at the cross, not the things we will do. And so we need to, we need to constantly be thinking, am I putting um, the goodness of God in the future right now? Because the goodness of God is right here. The goodness of the God is in your seat right now. That's where the goodness of God is. It's not in something you're going to do later, something you're going to get someday. The goodness of God is Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the Father's relationship with you right now. And you know, that's what the Holy Spirit does is he teaches you, he prepares you for getting in a deeper, intimate relationship with the Father. It says in Corinthians that only the Spirit of God knows the deep thoughts of God. So he put the Holy Spirit in us so we could know God's deep thoughts about us. That's why he put the Holy Spirit in you. So you would know God's deep thoughts of love and affection for you. The goodness of God, your future is in your chair right now. It's Jesus. Jesus is your future. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. We have a guarantee. We have a promise that we're going to have a good, prosperous future. And the reason I think that that verse, like that, no, I'm not going to update my iPad right now. Um, I think one of the reasons that verse is in there is because we need a verse like that to hang on to. That verse is there to say, hey, don't worry about it. They're my plans. He said, for, I know the plans I have for you. That verse is like a cheat code, man. Like that verse guarantees to us right there, we don't need to have fear of the future because we know the plans that God has for us. Thank goodness they're not my plans because my plans usually mess up. <laughs> my plans are very dependent on human error and human weakness. But God's plans aren't. God's faithful to fulfill his plans for your life. I'm going to end with these, uh, these points. That, uh, so Luke, Luke is one of our pastors here. One of my best, he's my best friends. You know, now that I have a wife, I can't really say he's my best friend. Jen's my best friend. And that's the truth. But uh, he, I learn a lot from him and he has taught me a lot. And one of the things he encouraged me to do today was to make a list, to share a couple of lists with you guys. Cause I'm kind of just like, rah, just like preaching you guys. And then you're all left. Like I feel impacted, but why? I'm not sure. <laughs> so I want to share with you guys uh, a couple of lists. I came up with a couple of like points to hang on to. And I want to, I want to talk about three signs that you have a fear of the future. 
That makes sense. Three, if you, if these things are true for you, you may have um, fear of the future. Okay. The first sign is that you find yourself saying, I'll be happy when, if you find yourself thinking that thought, I'll be happy when, then you're actually not believing that God's best thing is for you right now. You're not believing that his goodness is here today for you, but that you have to move somewhere. You have to get somewhere to get to it. So if you're thinking that way, you need to renew your mind with truth. The truth is not that you'll be happy when you do something. The truth is you'll be happy when you're in relationship with Jesus. And if you're in relationship with Jesus, you can have fulfillment right now, no matter what you're doing, no matter your circumstance. Second sign that you may have fear of the future is if you freak out when plans change. We can laugh at that. Freak out when plans change. <laughs> uh, so one of the amazing characteristics I got from my dad was I like things to happen the way I thought they were going to happen. And when they don't, when we decide to go to a new restaurant on the way there, my whole world is just broken. And like, really, what that's saying is that the only good things for me are the things that I plan. What you're saying then is that God can't make a, make a change and then it'll be better for me or something. Like you feel like you have to have it figured out. Otherwise, it's not going to be good. So that's a sign that you may have a fear of the future. Um, another is if you live in the past. If you live in the past, if you're constantly thinking about how things used to be and how things were better when, and if things could, just, if this person could just come back or if, you know, this could just change to how it used to be, really what you do is you're scared of the future because you're getting security from how things were rather than what God is doing now. All right, now I'm going to end on a more positive note. I want to tell you three reasons you don't need to fear the future. Okay. I want to give her three reasons you don't need to fear the future. The first one is he will always supply your needs. Jesus will always, the father will always supply your needs. Just say that with me. He will supply my needs. All right, one, two, three. He will supply my needs. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? What this verse is saying is that the father gave up his son. The father gave up the most valuable thing to ever live and walk on this earth, Jesus, for us. If he gave Jesus up for you, First of all, that's declaring a lot of worth. That's saying you are worth a lot to God. And you know, he didn't die just for the people in this room. or He didn't die just for the people that are saved. He died for everyone. It says that, that he died for the sins of the world. We got to think of people, they have the worth of Jesus. Jesus died for them. And if God gave up Jesus, what else will he hold back from us? What's he going to hold back if he gave up Jesus for us? Philippians 4.19 says, And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Newsflash, Forbes just did a new list of wealthiest people ever, and Jesus was the top, okay? Jesus is the wealthiest person. Jesus has all the riches, okay? He's going to supply for you guys. He's going to supply for us. We don't need to be fearful about not having enough because Jesus will supply all your needs. 
second reason you don't need to fear the future, I already touched on this, but he knows the plans. Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you. Just the fact that he knows them can release peace to us. Just the fact that he knows the plans. What do you think is more important? That God, that you know the plans for tomorrow or that God knows the plans for tomorrow? No brainer, right? So we don't have to be scared. He knows the plans. And see, this stuff goes outside of our circumstance. It's not, I know the plans I have for you, except for when it's really hard and you just lost your job. God's like, oh no, my plans got messed up for them. They lost their job. Oh no, what am I going to do now? Ah!" No, he knows the plans he has for you. He's got it. He's looking after you. He loves you. He has plans for you. So we need to believe that outside of our circumstances, okay? That's what, I, that's what I really want you to hear is that we need to believe this stuff outside of what's going on. It's easy to believe it right now. And I mean, maybe for some of you, it is hard to believe it right now because you're sitting in your seat with a, some problems or some mountain in front of you, some circumstance. But we need to remember that this is truth that is above our circumstance, okay? So maybe you just lost your job. That's true. But a greater truth is that God will supply all your needs. Yeah. The greater truth is that he has plans for you and his plans aren't contingent upon circumstances and what happens. Last point, last reason you don't need to fear the future is because everything works together for your good. Romans 8, 28. I'm going to flip there really quick. I love the Bible. Has anyone ever heard of the passion translation of the Bible? It's a really good translation. Uh, really quick piece of advice I want to give everybody that I heard this week that really was encouraging to me. If reading the Bible for you has been kind of dry lately, or you feel like you haven't been getting anything out of it, or you've been like, just, man, I really want to read the Bible, but I don't have any passion to or any desire to, try a different translation. Okay? Just try mixing up the translation. If you've been reading NASB, try NIV. If you've been reading ESV, try NLT. Try a different translation. But it's so important that we're getting the word into us every day. It's so important that we're looking at this and letting this define our circumstances. We're letting this shape the way we think. Because if we don't, if we're not in the word a lot, if we're not reading um, the Bible, then we're letting our circumstances shape the way we think. And I mean, that, that might be a little bit of an oversimplification. But if we don't have this truth in us, then we'll always let our circumstance shape our attitude and our emotions. When we get this truth in us, we have something to combat our circumstances. So that when you lose your job, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. He will supply all my needs. But if you're not reading this, you're not getting that in you, then you're missing out on the truth. <laughs> so last point, everything, um, the third reason you don't need to fear the future, everything works together for your good. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those, for those who are called according to his purpose. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. That's a pretty cool exchange. All you have to do is love God and everything works together for your good. That's a pretty good transaction, isn't it? I'll trade that into, hey, I'm just going to love God. And that means loving my neighbors. You know, someone asked Jesus, what does it mean to love God? He said, love your neighbor as yourself. I'm going to love others. I'm going to love God. And then he's going to take care of it. He's going to take care of the plans he has for me to prosper me, not to harm me, and to work things together for my good. So I just want to encourage you guys that God's working things together for your good. The main thing that Jesus said to Nathaniel, you remember earlier in John about his future, was about Jesus. 
It wasn't about what Nathaniel was going to do. It was about Jesus. And I just want to prophesy this. I want, I want to speak, prophesy this. I want to speak this just over the room that your future is full of encounters with Jesus. Okay? That's what Jesus was talking to Nathaniel about. <laughs> I'll call that an encounter. Heaven. Whoosh, angels. Doo -doo 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 -doo. What? <laughs> like, what is that even like? I, I want to experience that. I want that encounter. All right? So I'm going to speak that over you guys. Just put your hand over your heart. And um, the worship band can get ready to come out and everything. But uh, I just bless everyone in this room and I mark you for encounter with Jesus. Thank you that we have Jesus right now in our circumstance. Thank you that you're our future, Jesus. And that you have good experience with you for our future. That you have encounter with you for our future. So I just release an encounter for everyone in the room right now during worship. In Jesus' name, I just release that we would encounter God's presence. Amen. That sounded like the last thing. Come on, you can come up, Amanda. That sounded like the last thing I was going to say, but there's something else I want. I just want to challenge you guys, okay, with worship. There's a twofold thing going on with worship, all right? Part of it's our heart. Part of it's having a posture, a heart of worship, right? Directing our thoughts to God during this time, directing our thoughts to him, thinking about him. Singing is another part of it. But you know another part of it is actually doing something that signifies your worshiping. If you're at a football game and Andy Dalton does a QB sneak to win the Super Bowl for the Bengals, are you just going to go, yay? <laughs> I'm happy. I'm happy in here. I'm glad. I'm glad that he scored that touchdown. Or are you going to go, woo, yeah, he just won the Super Bowl. <laughs> right? Like that's how you're going to respond. In the same way, I'm just going to welcome you guys, invite you into worship this morning, that it's something more than just happening in our heart. It's something we're expressing with our whole person. God died not just for your soul and just your vocal cords. He died for your body. So we, we ascribe wealth, we ascribe worth to him when we raise our hands in worship. When we dance, when we say, I love you, Jesus. When we kneel down and we say, God, you're so good. I need to get down before you. What we're doing is we're ascribing worth to him. We're saying you are worth this action. You are worth this embarrassment. So I just want to encourage you guys that um, worship is more than just a heart posture. It's actions too. It's more than just our heart. It's more than just our voice. It's actually an action.